Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. All right, are you in Isaiah chapter 58? We're going to take a minute to look at that. Uh, Let me give you just a little bit of setup for what I'm about to talk to you about, why I'm talking to you about this. I mentioned at the opening of the service that we are next week going to be going into an emphasis on the sanctity of life. That's the the intent. Um, And you'll hear more about, specifically about abortion, about the the church's responsibility in that, the pain, all the things. I'm I'm not going to talk about that tonight necessarily. We'll talk about that on Sunday. But I'm, a, I'm asking you or inviting you to participate in fasting and praying, which is not a normal thing to do. We don't do that, at least not the modern church, not most churches I've been in part of. That's not something you do on a regular basis. And it's probably good that we don't do it on a regular basis because it should be something special, something that you do on occasion. But nonetheless, it might be there might be some people in the church for which it's a foreign thing. It's a new thing. So I want to talk to you just a little bit about God's the proper way for God, uh, proper way for fasting, the way that God prescribed fasting to be done. Now I want to go ahead and tell you, if you're looking for a how-to, I can go ahead and jump to my conclusion and tell you the Bible does not specify a lot of step one, step two, step doesn't really do that. It doesn't really, because I think we understand intuitively what fasting is. I think. You know what that is? You don't eat. That's what that means. It's not that hard. It's really hard. But it's not that hard to understand, you understand. So the, the Bible doesn't give you a lot of details about it because it's kind of, you know, you know what it is. But I want you to see that there's, there's a heart condition here that's got to be right as we do this. And that's really where the Bible's emphasis. And there's other passages I could go to, but I like the way that Isaiah the prophet presents this, of course, by the word of God to the children of Israel. And I think it's helpful to us as we look at that. I do want to begin with prayer, and then we will take a minute to get into this. Lord, I want to ask for your um, Holy Spirit to completely cover me over so that I am not speaking of my opinion and definitely not for my sinful heart, but Lord, instead that I am speaking the words of your word and that your Holy Spirit is taking these things and applying them to the hearts of your church so that there can actually be within McConnell Road Baptist Church, and I don't know about the rest of the world because that's not where you've asked me to serve. You've asked me to serve here, that within McConnell Road Baptist Church there can be revival and that we can see you do a great work here. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. According to, and I know I've asked you to turn to Isaiah and we'll come there in just a moment, but according to James, James chapter 4, there are two reasons we are not seeing answered prayers. Now, there may be other reasons in other parts of Scripture, but according to James, there's two reasons. First reason is we're just not asking for anything. James chapter 2, verse 2 says, you fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. I think there's a lot of times where we're just not seeing God work, and we're saying, why isn't God working? Well, have you asked him <laughs> to do anything? And that's what James's point is. In fact, I will say, uh, you, have to, you have to add to this the thing that Jesus adds in, in Mark chapter 9, where he's talking about this, there was a young boy who had a, a demon that was possessing him, and the disciples weren't able to deal with this problem. In fact, it was kind of knocking them down. 
And Jesus came in, and he just took care of it like that, the way Jesus does. And they ask him, what in the world? What's going on here? And Jesus' response in Mark 9, 29 is, this kind come, can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. He's saying, if you want something supernatural to happen, you're going to have to use supernatural means. In other words, it's not by flesh and blood. That's not how this stuff happens. You're going to have to reach out to the one who can. So, so I think sometimes we don't see God work. We don't see revival. We don't see things change. We don't see some of the, some of the things we want to see happen because we're just not asking him. Now, I think, at least my attempt is, and I believe that many of you will, will participate in this, that I believe we're going to try to fix that problem this coming week, at least when it comes to the problem of the sanctity of life, abortion, and, and, and women who are in crisis, and, and all that. We're going to try to do that next week with an emphasis on, on, on the sanctity of life. We're going to give up, we're going to give up some of our, our, our meals in order to be able to focus on prayer and be able to, to lift this thing up to the Lord. So we're going to do what our Lord said. We're going to fast and pray. That way this thing can come forth. We're going to see that happen, I believe. But the second problem James talks about in James chapter 4 and verse 3, he says, you ask, so sometimes you go ahead and ask the question or request, request the help, and you receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. So the other reason you don't get your prayers answered is because we're asking for the wrong reasons. We want the wrong things. So I want to spend this next week in prayer I hope it's not just one week. I hope it's time over the next months in prayer. But nonetheless, I'm gonna, we're going to focus time in prayer. And I want to see God to respond to our prayer and our fasting. I want to see God respond to that. How in the world are we going to see that happen? I think we get some indication of that in this passage in Isaiah chapter 58. The first, way we're going to have, well, first thing we're going to have to do, if we want to see God respond, I want to say first of all, and we'll see this in just a few minutes here as we go through this, First of all, we have to stop being part of the problem. We have to stop being part of the problem. I want you to see there, go with me to chapter 58, verse 1. He, God, is talking to Isaiah in verse 1. He says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sin. He says, Isaiah, I want you to go preach to the people, let them know they have a problem, a heart problem. They are in sin. They are grieving my heart, and I need to know about it. He says, lift up your voice. Be loud about it. Don't, don't be quiet about it. Don't, don't be nice about it. Don't tiptoe around it. Go right to the heart of the thing and let them know. But in verse 2, he says, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. And as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of, the, of their God, they ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. If you read that verse on its own, you'd say, everything seems okay. He's saying here, what he's saying is, you need to preach to these people that they got a problem, but they don't know they got a problem. They think everything's okay. They think everything is just okay. But then when they go and do in verse 3, he says, these people, verse 2, they say, everything looks, sounds okay to me. Verse 3, wherefore we have, have we fasted, they say, and thou seest not. Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, which is just another phrase for fasting, and thou hast taken no knowledge, thou takest no knowledge. Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure and exact all your labors. He says here, listen, you're acting like you think everything's fine. You act as if you love God fully, but when you actually go and fast and pray, you're not seeing a response. He says, because there's sin, there's a problem here. 
He describes some of those problems right there. I read one of them there at the beginning, the end of verse 3. He says, when you do fast, behold, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exact all your laborers. Now, what he says there about exact your laborers, he is, it's a phrase that we may not naturally see and understand, but what he's talking about there is that they are being cruel. They are ripping off their workers. They're basically having people work for them and not paying them a, a fair wage for that. They're, they're doing things and they're, they're being cruel and they're being selfish, yet they're asking God, this is what their fasts are, they're asking God, please give justice, bring justice to our land, yet they're ripping off these people. It goes on in verse 4, he says, behold, ye fast for strife and debate. He says, you're fighting and you're arguing while you're asking God for peace. You're fighting and arguing, but asking God for peace. Verse, the next part he says there, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. You're asking God for conflict to end, but you're the one hitting people upside the head. You're the one that's creating the violence. He says, there it goes on to say, and ye shall not fast as you do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. He says, I'm not going to hear that. I'm not going to hear that. I want to ask you to skip down to verse 9. We'll come back here, but he kind of refers to some of the problems again in verse 9. He says, then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall hear, say, he shall say here am I. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger and speaking vanity, those three things, the midst of thee the yoke, you're actually putting other people in bondage. He's saying putting forth the finger, kind of wagging your finger at either accusing other people falsely and then speaking vanity. What you say, what comes out of your mouth is evil, wicked, empty, vain, and vile. Ultimately, what he's saying to the people of Israel, listen children of Israel. You're fasting, you're doing all the religious rituals, you're doing things outwardly right, but you're part of the problem that you're asking God to solve. You're being cruel, you're fighting, you're, you're putting others in bondage, you're hurting other people, you're using your words to, to say ugly things. I'm going to try to make this personal for us because I'm not sure if you're, you're with me on that or on this, but I want you to make this very personal to understand that I'm not, you're not responsible for the world's problems. Can I go ahead and tell you all that right now? I don't care what people are trying to tell you, you're not responsible for the world's problems. You're not responsible for your father, you're not responsible for your grandfather, your grandmother, you're not responsible, I don't care how far back you want to go, you're not responsible for them. you got enough sin by yourself, just so you know. i got enough sin on my own shoulders I don't need to be responsible for that, but there's no such thing as being responsible for second and third and fourth generation. That's not, a, that's not a biblical principle. That said, I need to repent for my part, my sin. When it comes to this matter of abortion, we're going to be praying on this, and we can pray about that as much as we want to pray about it. But if we are guilty, and I'm not pointing a finger at any person in this room, you have to take this up between you and God. But if you are guilty of shaming a mother for who is unwed because she's going to have that baby, you are part of the problem. I understand she shouldn't have done that. I got that. That's part of but we need not to be shaming these women who, who, who are, that's part of what we're, we're pressuring them. We, if we've ever been, had a conversation under whispered breath, well, I just wish they'd get rid of it. I don't know that anybody said it. I'm just telling y'all, if y'all said it, I've not heard about it. But I'm just telling you, if that's in your mind, if that's ever happened, you need to make sure you're confessing that to God. We need to confess to God if we're supporting policies with our government, 
that would encourage people to get abortions. We need to uh, confess to our God if we're supporting politicians who sound good, look good in every other way, but are put, promoting policies that enable these kinds of things to go on. If we participate in pornography or the drug trade in any way, I can guarantee you somewhere down the line that abortion is part of that process. And some of you, especially some of your backgrounds, you understand because of being part of the criminal justice system, you understand that probably better than I even understand that. And I can tell you one that at least it hurts my feelings. If we've not looked and tried to do what we can with what we have available to us to help the women as well as the babies that are involved in that with what we can help them with, if we've not done that, we need to cry out to our God and say, I'm sorry, God. Because I can tell you that a lot of times these women are doing what they're doing because they feel like they've got no other option. And if we're not allowing ourselves to be in a position to at least give them some options. I'm not saying that they don't have any guilt or shame. I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to give or take anything from them, but it ain't about them. I'm talking to y'all. <laughs> talking to y'all. Judgment begins with the house of God. And 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 What's going to happen is if we're crying out to God, God, please fix this problem, you know what God's going to do? He's going to fix the problem. He's going to start it with his children. He's going to correct us. He is going to chastise us. He is going to get us right so that we will see an answer to his prayer. It's just not going to be the answer you are looking for. You understand? He's going to tear up your little red wagon and get you pointed in the right direction. And then we, if we are honest, we can say, well, God did answer the prayer. He allowed me to be a part of the solution instead of being part of the problem. So the first thing, if we want to see God work, we've got to stop being part of the problem. That's the message to Israel here. But then the second thing is, if we're going to see God work, we have to recognize the purpose of the gospel. Uh, look with me in verse 5. After he's talked about it in verses 3 and 4, he said, now listen, this is what you guys are doing. You're, you're, you're fasting and praying and asking for my help, but you're living wicked as the devil. And he says in verse 5, is, that, is it such a fast that I have chosen? This is God speaking here. You have to understand he's, he's kind of got a sarcastic tone to his voice. He said, is this really what I was looking for? A bunch of people to do some kind of religious ritual but not really have a heart change? Is that really what I was after? A, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it, is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a feast, a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? Now, now, I want you to understand that he is, he is sarcastically asking if their perversion of worship was really what he wanted. And the answer is, of course, no, not what he wanted. That said, God did prescribe a fast. There's only one fast that God prescribes in the, in the Bible, one fast. Now, if you go to the New Testament, there's all kinds of fasts that the, the Pharisees would take part of. There's all kinds of things people would participate in. But if you go to the Old Testament, there's only one fast that is a required fast fast for Israel. It is something called the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. And it's in Leviticus chapter 16. If you'd like to read up on that on your own, you can look at that. It, there's a phrase there that talks about you to afflict your souls. If you're reading in the King James, it says afflict your souls. That phrase essentially means, it can be, uh, we can interpret it to mean fasting. He's talking about fasting there. That's what he means. So what was going on with the Day of Atonement, it would start with the priest 
they had to have a, a, a there was a, a process by which the priest would be purified because you know he was a man he was he had sin in him so he had to be purified so then he could offer a sacrifice that would be pure for the people so the the sacrifice had to be purified and then once he was purified and the sacrifice was purified then the people had to be purified i mean it was all the way down the line very very specific thing that had to happen the lamb would then absorb or atone the sins of the people for that year if you've ever heard of a scapegoat you ever heard that phrase that was used in the day of atonement one of the they would have one of the lambs he would be absorbing all the sin of the people and he'd be sent out into the into the desert as the scapegoat for for the people and and all of this is simply to 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 show them that their their sins would be would be absorbed would be atoned by by a perfect lamb one day and part of this was fasting. They would afflict their souls. They would show their hunger. Physically, they would have hunger in their body so that they could show the hunger that their, show themselves, the hunger that their souls had for the atonement of God, that they really, really needed this. Just the same way if you've ever gone a little bit without a, maybe missed a meal or two and you're really hungry, you know how that, your body just feels like, I've got to have something to eat. That's the same way that your soul should be feeling. I've got to have God's atonement on my sin. And by the way, I can tell you by my own experience, sometimes I've had that feeling. You kind of let yourself go a little bit too far, do something you know you ought not do. And then there's that feeling in your soul, man, I just got to get God to forgive me. And he does. He's faithful and just to do that. But this standard that is set up, the standard that God has set up in Leviticus, is only it, 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 it's, it's fulfilled in pictures by the, by the people, but it is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is the perfect priest. He didn't have to be purified. He was pure already. He was the perfect lamb. He was purified already. He was the perfect Israel. He was perfect in every way. He was made sin for us. And none of that, by the way, because go back to what, Jesus, what God says here in verse 5. He says, you're going to call that a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? He says, you think I'm going to be happy with that? Well, none of this was made to, done to make you feel good. It was done to please the Lord, and only Jesus is the one who can set things right. So when that happens, when we actually put our trust in Jesus, when we actually see that we're, we're hungering in our souls for our Lord Jesus Christ, that's when God sets things right. Look what he says in verse 6. Is not this the fast that I have chosen? And here's what happens. To loose the bands of wickedness. You know what God does when Jesus died on the cross? He freed us from sin. He loosed the bands of wickedness. He says to undo the heavy burden. He actually took that burden of sin, that shame, that guilt off of our backs. He says, and to let the oppressed go free. That bondage, that spiritual and physical oppression that we have, it was taken away because of what Jesus has done. It's taken away. And he says, and let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke. Breaks all bondage, all the chains of sin. That's what he does. Uh, he goes on and says in verse 7, Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor, and that they are cast out of thy house, that, that they that are cast out of thy house? He's saying essentially what he's going to do is he's going to feed those people who are hungry. He's going to care for those who, people who are poor. He's going to help the cast down. He's going to help the, the down and out. But it has to start with you. Do you actually believe the gospel. Now, see, what he's trying to get at here is that this is what God does. 
This is why we fast, because we want this. But do we really want this? What, he's, what these people were wanting, they weren't really wanting people who were in need to be, have their needs met. They wanted their needs met. They weren't really wanting people, other people out there who were oppressed to be free from their oppression. They just simply said, I'm having a bad time. I want what I want. They were doing it to make themselves feel better. And God said, that's not why I'm doing this. I'm doing this to actually free people. I'm actually trying to help people here. The point of all this is the gospel. And the question is, do you truly believe the gospel that Jesus died? Can I put it to you another way? Do you really believe, let me say it this way, I think this is the right way. If you can't tell, I'm sort of struggling to get my point across to you, but I want you all to hear me. Do you really believe that Jesus had to die? Not just for you to go to heaven. I know we believe that. We're, we're Baptists after all. If you don't believe that, then maybe you, don't, you ain't listening. But I'm saying, do you believe that Jesus had to die to solve any problem? I actually have been very, very disappointed in my evangelical Christian preachers and brothers in this moment in time. And let me explain what I mean by that. I'm looking around at the world around us, and there's a lot of conflict and strife. A lot of it. A lot of people hurting. And there are some who, to be fair, are tritely saying, well, they just need the gospel. They don't know what they're talking about. They just simply say they need the gospel. And then the response to that is, no, 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 you obviously don't understand. It takes more than the gospel. Both sides are missing the point. The only solution to the darkness of racism is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't die on a cross. We will all hate one another. The only hope for those who are oppressed by racism is the Jesus dying on the cross. If Jesus doesn't die on a cross, there will always be people who are oppressed. You may say, well, Matthew, that's, it's not, that's, it sounds a little simplistic. It is a little simplistic. For me, if I were solving the world's problems, but I'm not. This is a supernatural thing. Let's bring it back to what we're talking about here. I just bring up the headlines because I know y'all are all reading the same newspapers I'm reading, watching the same social media I'm watching. But let's bring it back to the topic at hand. I'm saying we're going to pray about babies that are being killed. We want to see women to actually see their hearts changed to, from one who is, has their mind set to kill their baby, even though they would not understand it that way. They would see it as simply making it a medical decision, but they were ultimately killing their baby to turn their heart to say, I'm going to keep this baby and it's going to be difficult, but I'm going to do it. How do you do that? Because I'm such a, such a persuasive speaker? No. Because there's so many great resources out there? No, it's because there was a man called Jesus who died on a cross. And what he did on the cross is actually able to free people from the bondage of sin. And that sin actually takes people and it makes them do stuff that they can just, y'all do stuff that you can justify in your head, but it's wrong, wrong, wrong. In the same way that that dear lady, she's justifying her head, justifying her head, justifying her head. But the gospel of Jesus Christ breaks that bond, breaks that chain. That's the only hope. If, if you've got something else that's going to that's fix the problem, first of all, let me just say, Lord, help you. Because that's not going to fix the problem. And second of all, if, you, if, if it was something else to fix it, why haven't you been done it already? 
But I'm just going to tell you, it's not going to fix the problem. That's why we've had these problems. It's because we need, that's why Jesus came to die on the cross to solve these things. The question is, when I actually get on my knees and beg God, please intervene, am I actually believing that the gospel has the power to break those chains? And the Bible's telling me it does. That's why he came. He is the only one that satisfies that. Now, fasting, when you think about this and you kind of try to do this in this coming week, please try to keep this idea in your mind that while you're, fat, while you're fasting, it brings a physical feeling to your body that articulates, puts into physical language the longing that is in your soul. That's what the intent of it is. It's not about how long can you fast. It's not about you know, uh, what, what, you know, how, how, how much you were able to, to handle. I mean, honestly, if maybe because of physical needs, you can only, you can only go three or four hours. I, you're not going to fault me, but if there's that, that feeling of I'm, my body is longing for something, then you have to translate that to your spirit to say, that is my soul longing for the Lord. That's what you're doing this for. But you just have to understand that is your soul's longing for the Lord, in the same way that your body is longing for food, is there anything other than true nutrition that's going to solve that soul's longing? I would argue no. You can go out and get you a handful of dirt. It might fill your belly for a minute, but that's not going to really solve your problem. You can go outside and gulp as much air as you want to. It's not going to fill your belly. What's going to fill your belly? You're going to need some bread. You're going to need some vegetables. You're going to need a piece of meat. You're going to need a glass of milk. You need something, some substance, some nutrients. In the same way, your soul cannot find its longing fulfilled in anything other than God himself. And what he's doing, when you actually get on your knees and pray and say, Lord, this hunger in my belly is reminiscent to me of the hunger that's in my soul that I can't quite put words around, but I've got a little bit of a physical feeling that helps me understand it in a way that I want you to know, God, that you're the only one that can actually satisfy this longing in my soul. Look what happens in verse 8. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thy health Thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee, and the glory of the Lord shall be thy re-reward. He says, I'm going to bring you light. You're going to understand a few things. He says, I'm actually going to bring about the healing that you really need. I'm actually going to transform you, my son, my daughter, I'm going to transform you into a trophy of my righteousness. And he uses a word there, re-reward. I had to look that one up. I don't think I use that one all that often. Basically what he's saying in there is he's got our back. That word re-reward is basically he's got our back flank. Sort of a military type term that he's using there. But he's got our back. The most important thing is what he's, what he's doing here is he's saying, listen, I'm, I'm actually coming to help you. But I want you to see the most important thing there is in verse 9. Then shalt thou call and the Lord shall answer. One of the things that I've struggled with probably the most over the last three months is knowing that God's presence was with me. There have been some dark times in my sort of emotionally dark times over the last three, four months. And those times, what I wanted more than anything is that God would be there and God would answer. And it's happened a few times, even over the last couple of months, it's happened. But over my lifetime, I've had this happen where I actually can, as they say, get a hold of God, you know, that term. I don't know if exactly how to describe what that means, but I think we understand, get a hold of God, what that means. And when God answers, 
man, there's a relief. When he answers, there's a, there's a, God's with me. There's, there's that feeling that comes over you. That's what happens here. When ye answer, when you call, he answers. Thou shalt cry and he shall say, here I am. When God answers, God will answer. When we find our place, ourselves to that place where we know that nothing else will satisfy, then God says, okay, I'm here, brother. I'm right here with you, son. I'm right here with you. He answers. By the way, there is no false God in this world, and they're all false gods other than the one true God, Yahweh, my Jehovah. No false God in the world that will ever answer you. The conservative talking heads will not answer you. Yeah, they might answer your call on talk radio. I understand that, but they're not going to give you the answer you need. The liberal politicians are not going to answer you. Again, they may like it when you vote for them, but they're not going to give you the answers you seek. The social justice warriors that are out there speaking very loudly, very passionately, about issues that a lot of which needs a lot of which needs address needs to be addressed, but they don't have the answers that we seek. Law and order politics is not going to be the answer that we seek. The police force, and we need to pray for those men and women that are on the front lines. We've got one in our church, brother, brother Burns. He, he is he is on the here in Greensboro, if you hear about any of the stuff that's going on, I guarantee you he is nearby if he's not right there at the middle of it. And you better pray for that man that he continues to hold up his testimony, and I believe he has, but he needs your prayers, he needs your support as he's doing that. But let me tell you, the best police officers, the best sheriff's deputies in the world will not be the answers that we seek. The lawful, peaceful protests are not the answers we seek, and the raucous looting and rioting is not the answers we seek. And let me tell you one thing that's not the answer we seek. These smarmy social media memes that we put up, that ain't the answer we're looking for either. Those Facebook arguments, that's not going to help us. That's not the answer we seek. God responds. But I want you to pay attention to how he responds. And I, and I, I appreciate your patience, but you've got to listen with me just for a few more minutes. He responds. Look at how he responds. I want you to notice this. You'll see this in this, this verse. these verses. He responds by putting you to work. Y'all listen to this. Look what he does. He says in verse 9, he says, he responds, and we'll skip down to verse 10, and if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity and thy darkness be as the noonday. Do you see what he's doing there? He's actually saying, I'm going to respond to you, but I want you to draw your soul out to the hungry. I want you to go find the person who's afflicted. I want you to help those people in need. I, I want you to, 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 I'm going to give you direction there. He says, I'm going to let your light shine in obscurity. Let your light shine in the darkness. I'm going to let you be a light to other people, but I want you to do that. He says, I'm going to let thy darkness be as the noonday. He says, and the Lord shall guide thee continually. He said, God's going to give you direction. He's going to satisfy thy soul in drought He's make thy bones and make bones thy fat, make fat thy bones, and thou shalt be like a watered plant and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. He says, I'm gonna make you, I'm gonna give you what you need, and I'm gonna give you so much. It's that, that image in my mind in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, where the Holy Spirit spreads or sheds forth in our hearts the love of God. Always that image in my mind. I don't know if I've ever told you all this or not, but I always had this image in my mind that my little thimble heart. It's sitting up, upside down. It's a little bitty thimble sitting upside down. 
in God's big old 50-gallon bucket of love. He pours it in my heart. You know what he does? He fills me up, gives me exactly what I need, but he gives me so much I have it to spare for everybody around me. I'm just soaked in myself with, with the, the love of God, and I have enough to go around. That's what God does. He answers you. He meets you where you are, but he's not just meeting your need. He is meeting your need. But just like he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he is the God of all comfort. But that we can be comforted with, or rather you can be comforted the same comfort that I have been comforted with. So that I get something from God, but I have enough to give it out to other people. This is what God does. If you will, I I want you to know that based on what I'm hearing from God's word here, and I believe that I've understood this correctly, you go read it for yourself. Make sure you understand it as well. But I believe it's telling us if we'll get on our knees, we'll pray to God, And we'll find our hunger only satisfied in God alone. And we'll believe that Jesus is the only answer for the problem. And we'll understand that we're part of the problem, so we're going to confess our sins as a result of that. That God not only is going to hear our our prayer, He's going to respond. He's going to say, I hear you. I'm right there with you. And by the way, here's some work for you to do. Now here's the problem. I think some of us don't even want that. We don't want that work. (laughs) We, we don't want to ask him for anything because he's going to tell us to do something. But we have to be prepared to do what God wants. And if we will do what God wants, he will do what he says in verse 12. I want you to read that. And they shall be of thee, and they shall be of thee, uh, let me start again. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. They, thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. He's going to make everything right. He's going to fix everything. Because our God makes all things right. He says this in Revelation 22, 5. He makes us new creatures in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He fixes things. And the good news is he's going to put you in, he's going to enlist you in the fight to fix things with him. The Bible gives us, as I said, precious little information about the mechanics of fasting. I think it's because we know how not to eat think we know how to do it. We don't want to do it, but we know how not to do it. We know how to close the refrigerator and put the, push the plate away. We know how to do it. We just don't do it that often. But the Bible, the Scripture's teaching, and again, not just in this passage, but if you go to other places in like Matthew and some other places where Jesus talks about fasting, the focus of the Scripture is teaching about the heart of fasting, the attitude of the heart. So as you do this this next coming week, don't, don't do it out of pride. Don't do it to show off. Don't do it expecting anybody to pin a gold medal to your chest because you did it. And definitely don't do it as a mere externality. Well, the preacher said I had to do it, so we better go do it so I can say, yeah, I did it. I ain't going to ask you if you did it. I'm not going to ask a one person. So you, I'm not even going to put you in a position. You've got to lie to me. If you can't do it, that's fine. I ain't going to talk to you about it. It's between you and God. I'm just inviting you to participate. But if you're going to take on the task, you'd better be prepared to have God not just change the situation. I want him to change. That's why we're coming to him. But you better be prepared for God to work on your wanter, your heart, your desire to transform you in the process, to make you truly hunger and thirst after righteousness. Because when we do that, Jesus said in Matthew 5, you'll be filled when you hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's what we need to do. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. 
I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.